Welcome to Affirming Our Lane, a podcast by the American Foundation for Firearm Injury Reduction in Medicine. Affirm is the nation's leading nonpartisan network of more than 40,000 healthcare professionals who are committed to reducing firearm injury through research, evidence-based practice, and community partnerships. How did you become involved in the issue of gun violence? Um, so I started out, well, let's think about this for a second. Um, so I'm a, I'm a community practice physician and uh, I'm from Chicago. And uh, where I trained, there was always uh, a background of violence. And um, I never thought about gun violence as a comprehensive issue when I was training because um, you know, in, in emergency medicine training and medical school, we are taught to think about gunshot wounds and how to resuscitate them. And there, there hasn't been a public health paradigm on how to address the problem. And so, you know, I, I, I thought of it as gunshot wounds and resuscitations all through my training. And then I came out to rural America and that kind of changed everything because I live in these small communities that, um, well, you know, everybody. So there's this adage of six degrees of separation that separates you and everybody else in the world. And when you're living in rural America, that, that distills down to two. And when you start working in emergency rooms um, in these rural areas after a couple of years, you know everybody. Like, I can't go anywhere. I can't go to the barbershop. I can't go to the uh, grocery store without knowing somebody. And of the patients that I see, uh, everybody, the staff, I know the patient or the family. So there's this captive audience and we started to, I started to appreciate the recurrent and the preventive nature of gun violence because I would take care of somebody who either, um, who, who appeared to be at risk of perpetrating gun violence uh, that we then treated and then discharged or admitted. And then later that person would come back actually having perpetrated the act of violence either against himself or somebody else. And I also saw the collateral effects of violence. Like I saw, I had a case where, um, I, I took care of a man who was shot in front of a family member and I couldn't resuscitate him. And um, when I gave the news to the family, um, one of the family members um, was very distraught. And uh, a few months later, she came in as an overdose. And the thing is that at that moment in time, I didn't, I didn't know what I could do. I knew that she was at risk because I gave, gave her this devastating news and she told me some things about the case that were very, very heartbreaking. Um, but she's not counted as a victim of gun violence. And moreover, um, when I kind of, when that case was in the news and I was reading about the shooter, I realized that he had been in the ER and in, in my ER like days beforehand. So I saw this arc of like, look, we are dealing with this problem. We are being put in position as emergency physicians to intervene. And, and we can intervene if we know what to do. Uh, we just need a system to do that. And so that's how I got involved in gun violence. Um, it was always there in the background but it wasn't a personal issue for me really as a professionally uh, until I had these cases where I saw the opportunity for us to do something good. All right. How did you get involved and get the idea for a firm in particular? So uh, a firm, it, it stems to these cases and, and there were, there were two cases I had in tandem that really drove it home for me. Um, so where I live is a rural area and the, the rate of gun ownership is very high. And so it, 
sometimes when people who own legal who legally own guns demonstrate dangerous behaviors or uh, express dangerous cognitions about that gun and what they can do with it leads to concerns for public safety. And uh, what happens is that the family or the workplace or the school or the cops will bring this person on a, what's called a welfare check, a mental health evaluation. And then, and then essentially that makes me accountable for preventing what they're all worried about. And this happened, this happens not infrequently. And after Newtown in 2012, uh, a few weeks later, I had a case where uh, my department was intervening on a guy who who seemed to be at tremendous risk, and um, and then I had a, a few weeks after that I had another case, and I realized that we're being put in the position to society, like everybody has decided that um, we are the people that need to address this problem. That's why they bring the people at risk to us. So if we're going to be responsible, then we should we need to be responsible as a profession. And so I thought that why don't we have, I, mean, I don't have any guidance when I'm working on up these cases. I have no idea what I'm supposed to do. Um, well, I didn't have any idea what I'm supposed to do. And, and there are no guidelines. We have guidelines in medicine for everything, for uh, falling down the elderly, for urinary tract infections, for diabetes, for opiates. But we have no guidelines or best practice recommendations on how we're supposed to treat this most dangerous, most prolific public health problem in our country. And then when I was looking into why the case for that, why that's the case, um, I realized that there were two obstacles. One was that there was no money for research, which I found completely impossible to believe um, <laughs> because we, we've, we spend billions and billions of dollars a year on all this health research. And then I just couldn't believe that there really was a essential moratorium on funding. And um, but then I was convinced because I just did enough research to realize that this is true. And then I thought, well, there must be private money somewhere. And I looked at foundations like Everytown and um, the Joyce Foundation that would be interested in this. But I realized that they all fund policy research. Like they have policy agendas and they fund the impact of gun, re gun reform or gun policy, gun control. And that's not the stuff that I need to know um, when I'm practicing because I don't, I don't practice gun control. Um, when I'm assessing a patient who's at risk of perpetrating violence, I don't, it's just not something that comes up. I need to know how do these risk factors contribute to that person's risk and how can I mitigate that risk when present? Um, so there was no public money and there's no private money for the work that we need to do to be educated and, and treat our patients and their communities. And uh, so I thought, well, we just need to create that. And, and the model was, look, um, right now, when people are motivated to donate uh, to this problem, to make it go away, to fix it, people have three options. They can donate to advocacy groups that will then legislate for change, uh, victim fund or, or victims fund or blood drives. And they don't actually have an opportunity to invest in the professionals that can create and operationalize change upstream of policy. Um, like we can, once we actually have guidelines, once we have practice patterns, that we're all doing and that our communities learn, then we can actually start addressing this crisis now without waiting for any kind of policy change. What can a firm do to change the climate surrounding gun violence in this country? A firm can do lots of things. Um, so within a firm uh, are represented pretty much every major medicalization and every specialty. And because we have a network now of, um, of, all our professional societies, we have the opportunity to, one, connect these 
networks together, uh, but also connect these networks to communities and to practitioners so that when we actually have guidance and we have um, best practices that can be disseminated, um, you know, because we have this network now of, of expertise, we can um, identify the research priorities that need to happen. And we can, we can, you know, once we have adequate funds, we can actually deploy the research and then also deploy the translation process of research so that we can arrive eventually at, at best practice recommendations. Um, moreover, in addition to, to the science and in, into uh, creating and promoting the science of firearm risk, risk mitigation, uh, risk uh, violence prevention, and recovery from violence, um, we have an ability to normalize the conversation on uh, firearm risk in this country because we are um, vehemently nonpartisan and because we are comprised of people who are both um, gun owners, gun enthusiasts, uh, firearm trainers, as well as people who have no access to firearms, we, um, we stay clear of the issues that are political. Um, and, we, and furthermore, we know that that we can't legislate our way out of this problem. Now, even if there was gun control tomorrow that did all these different things, we still have the problem because there are hundreds of millions of guns in this country. So we know that there needs to be a public health approach. And and our our way of considering the problem as um, our way of approaching the the epidemic of gun violence is is problem versus solution as opposed to gun rights versus gun control. We have an ability to um, help normalize the conversation to focus on those risk factors and those behaviors and those cognitions that we all agree are are unsafe. So you've already touched on this a fair amount, but why do you think that research is the answer? So everything that we do in medicine is based on research, or if it's not initially based on research, then it's validated through research. Um, you know, I can't, when I go to the emergency room, I don't practice emotion-based medicine. I don't practice, you know, anecdotal medicine. Um, I practice evidence-based medicine. And we, we know that research is, research is always the answer. That's why we invest as a country and as a society in research. That's why we always have. So it's not, what we're doing is not any different than how we approach every other problem. Um, without knowing, without figuring out what works to, what, without figuring out what works to prevent a problem, we can't actually solve it. Can you give me an example of a research question that would be helpful for doctors to find answers to? Absolutely. So um, there are there are lots of research questions, and so what I what I want to want to know, well, what what makes sense to me is first of all framing in the construct of the medical risk of violence. Um, we know that uh, so right now in this country we measure gunshot wounds, right, and that is the terminal manifestation of this disease process, um, and but we know that there are many risk factors for violent conduct. Um, some of the most important ones are prior violent conduct or having an alcohol misuse disorder or having certain uh, personality traits or impulse control disorders. And at a certain point in people's lives, these risk factors escalate or something adds to them. And then the risk of crisis increases. And these are when I see people in emergency care because somebody in the community or that person themselves have identified, okay, I'm escalating. There's an escalation. There's an increased risk. We need to do something about that. So many of the questions that, that we have to answer are, well, how do these risk factors um, interplay with individuals' cognitions about their firearms that increase the risk of violence? And moreover, 
once we identify the risk of violence, what things can we do to mitigate those risk factors so that the risk is diminished? Do you have any other personal stories you'd be able to share about why this topic really matters? Uh, so this problem exists in every community. And uh, I think that if you ask, if you were to survey, just anecdotally, um, people I've, I've talked to um, and in environments I've been in, we ask uh, anyone if they, had, if they or their family had had, have been touched by the problem of gun violence, about 80% of the people will raise their hands. Uh, we know that a significant majority of people in this country have a family member or know someone who has been uh, uh, affected by suicide. And um, we are all victims of violence indirectly by the events that happen in the news. I mean, I have friends who, um, actually, I know many people who worry about their kids going to school because every day, well, not every day, but um, every so often, every year, um, there are active shooter drills and there are a lot of false alarms at these schools. So patients, so parents worry about their kids going to school. So I guess what I want to say is we're all victims of this problem. And, um, and one thing that I, I want to point out and just like personally is that I, I, I grew up with firearms. There were always guns in my house and, uh, and firearms for me were always a, a symbol of honor and heritage because my family, uh, half my family was agrarian and these are people that carved their living off the land using firearms. And additionally, firearms are really useful tools for doing a number of important things. And they're also really uh, useful for, you know, um, combating some very dangerous ideas. Like some of my ancestors fought in World War II and, and we have their guns at home. And other ancestors fought in the Civil War. And so um, this was, a you know, for me, it was honorable to have these guns. But where, where there is... Um, where there are guns, there's also the opportunity for misuse. And in my family growing up, um, I see among my family and friends, there were episodes of homicide. And also there were episodes of suicide. Um, so I think that if you were to find, if you were to ask people um, enough questions, you'd find a link to some sort of gun violence in their family. To end on a more positive note, what makes you optimistic about how we can change gun violence in America when it's easy to think that the problem is too far gone? So there is, I don't actually, um, you know, we, we never actually look at something as too far gone. We're in a crisis, right? We have to pick ourselves up and, and just do this. And because we have the collectible of medicine um, working together, um, there's no way we can lose. I mean, we, I mean, this is the U.S. healthcare safety net. If we get busy and we get organized and we start working on a cohesive approach, if we if we create the blueprint on how to treat gun violence in America, we can operationalize that. So, of course, we can succeed. There's there's no reason to be pessimistic about this. All we have to do is enable the people, empower the people who can create change. We have to create the change we want to see, and so we will. Thank you so much for joining me today. No problem. My pleasure. Thank you.